0: History this week, September 24th, 1955. I'm Sally Helm. It started with a hamburger, topped with Bermuda onions. President Eisenhower wolfed it down on Saturday, the 23rd of September, between two games of golf. He was on an extended work and play vacation in Colorado. And during his afternoon game that day, He gets what feels like indigestion. He thinks it's got to be that hamburger. He goes home, heads to bed early. And then, around 2 a.m. Sunday morning, he wakes up. And now he's in pain. Something is wrong. Eisenhower's wife summons the White House physician, who gives the president some morphine. But in the morning, he's still having chest pain. The doctor has an electrocardiograph brought to the president's bedside, and that confirms it. This is not hamburger-related indigestion. It's a heart attack. Eisenhower is rushed to Fitzsimmons Army Hospital in a Secret Service car. And later that day, the American public learns that their war hero president, a five-star general, is on oxygen in a hospital in Denver. In Boston, an eminent cardiologist named Paul Dudley White hears the news on his car radio. A couple hours later, he finds himself summoned to the president's bedside to examine the nation's most famous patient. Soon after that, White is standing in front of about 150 reporters, and he tries to deliver calming news. He says the president has suffered a, quote, average heart attack and that he's recovering well. But the nation is really scared, and not just for the president, also for themselves. Heart disease in the 1950s is on the rise. People wanna know what they should do to prevent it. And one person who gives advice in the coming months is Dr. White. He's like this comforting parental voice saying, you should exercise, get out there on a bike, don't smoke. And he also talks about what people should eat. In one article printed in the New York Times in October 1955, White points to the work of a nutrition scientist named Ansel Keys. Keys was becoming known for something called the diet-heart hypothesis. It gives nutritional advice that you've definitely heard and probably tried to follow. Ansel Keys may well have shaped the way
1: Americans and the globe ate and eats more than any other biomedical scientist of the 20th century, both intentionally
0: and unintentionally. Today, Ansel Keys's nutritional advice takes off and takes on a life of its own. How did Keys, an oceanographer turned nutrition scientist, end up changing the world's relationship with fats? And was this a change for the better? It's that time
1: of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax,
0: and think about
1: work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to
2: Monday.com. In the
0: 1950s, Americans and particularly well-off American businessmen start to die in huge numbers of heart attacks. And the cause is something of a mystery.
3: We were seeing an explosion of coronary heart disease in the 1950s. I mean, it was really a a true pandemic.
0: Dr. Stephen Nissen is a cardiologist at the renowned Cleveland Clinic. Specifically, he's the chief academic officer of the Heart and Vascular Institute. He'll be one of our guides in this story. And he said... The American public in the 1950s was very aware of this risk.
3: What the public came to hear a lot about was a phenomenon known as sudden cardiac death. Someone would simply drop to the ground, sometimes clutching their chest, and never recover.
0: Scientists are looking for the cause. Why this big increase in terrifying heart attacks? And one person who gets interested in this, starting in the 1940s, is a researcher named Ansel Keys. We talked about him with Sarah Tracy. She'll be another one of our guides. She's spent almost a decade working on a biography of Keys. Most people haven't heard of Ansel Keys.
1: They may have heard of the Mediterranean diet or BMI, you know, the flawed biometric index. So they've heard of things that he worked on or developed, but they don't necessarily know who Keyes was. But Sarah Tracy knows him. I have spent more time with him in the archive than I would care to share. (laughs) In fact, I feel as if sometimes I know Ansel Keyes better than he knew himself.
0: Tracy has read a lot about Keys, and there's a lot to read—a lot of records. For one thing, Keys was a participant in this 80-year longitudinal study of quote gifted children. He was a
1: polymath. I don't think there's any question about that. And he happened to have enough talent to be kind of good at just about anything he set his mind to. Do. And I think being considered a genius both put pressure on Keys to excel. And it also gave him confidence. As is true of many confident geniuses. He could be belligerent. He could be combative. But also. He was determined. He was remarkably resourceful.
0: His resourcefulness turned out to be important because Keys graduated with a PhD in oceanography in 1930, right at the start of the Great Depression, Not a lot of oceanography jobs. But Keyes makes it work. He ends up studying eels in Copenhagen, goats and eagles at Cambridge University in England. And then he gets wind of something called the Harvard Fatigue Laboratory back in Boston. They are doing basically the first studies of physical exercise. What does it do to and for the human body? Keyes goes to work for them. At the Harvard Fatigue
1: Lab, Keyes gets the chance to fulfill his adventurous spirit and lead an international high-altitude expedition. And this is transformative for him. It is his entry point into human physiology.
0: A few years later, he winds up at the University of Minnesota, studying athletes.
1: And that is kind of where
0: nutrition begins to enter the picture. He's looking at whether diet can make you a better basketball player or track runner. Tracy says people pay attention to this work, partly because Keyes has a real knack for publicity. He
1: was an extremely effective spokesperson. People love to see what Keyes is doing in the laboratory of physiological hygiene. When
0: World War II ignites, Ansel Keys gets recruited by the Army to develop something called the K-ration. That was basically a meal for soldiers that was lightweight and compact and had a long shelf life. And when the fighting is over, Keys studies a grim post-war nutrition problem. What foods should people eat to recover from starvation? That project takes years, but eventually he's looking for something new to study.
1: And after talking about all of the health problems of the Second World War, the press starts to report on other health problems. And one of those problems happens to be heart disease. People start becoming really concerned about this, especially middle-aged men dropping in the prime of life. They're collapsing on the golf course or at a board meeting.
0: At this point in the 1940s, a lot of people thought heart disease was sort of inevitable. You couldn't really control it.
1: Keyes is intrigued by this, and you've got to remember, he's middle-aged himself, by golly. And so there's a certain amount of self-interest in this, but it's also clearly a problem. At least it's a perceived problem, and it's something the media is reporting on, and Keyes is very much in tune with what's happening in the media. In
0: 1947, Keyes does a study of middle-aged men and heart disease, but he realizes pretty quickly that his sample is too small to give good data. And then in 1951, he's on a sabbatical in Oxford, England, finishing up some of his World War II research and working for the World Health Organization and the Food and Agriculture Organization. He's getting really sick of the cold winter weather, and he remembers something that a colleague of his said earlier in the year about heart disease in Italy. He
1: said there was no heart disease in Naples. So Keith thinks, hmm, how could this be true? So he and his wife, Margaret, who is also trained as a scientist, as a biochemist, they pack all of their scientific equipment and they trundle off to Naples. They emerge having gone through the Simplon Tunnel, and it's warm and the sunlight's glistening on the Bay of Naples. And they're just so happy to be there. But they still don't believe. How could
0: there be no heart disease? So they start looking into it. And they find that this claim is only partially true. There isn't hardly any
1: heart disease among the working classes who are going to the general hospital. They're not going there for heart attacks or cardiovascular disease.
0: But when he goes to private clinics he does find patients with heart disease. And
1: it turns out that those few cases of heart disease are among the more affluent classes of Neapolitans.
0: Keyes comes up with a theory. It has to do with what the rich people are eating. Lots of cheese,
1: rich desserts and pastries, ice cream. So different from what the working class Neapolitans are eating, which is basically no meat or rich dairy products. That's not part of the everyday cuisine of working class Neapolitans.
0: One thing all those foods have in common is saturated fat. There are lots of different kinds of fats in food. Saturated fats have a specific molecular structure But in the real world, you can recognize them because they tend to be solid at room temperature. So the fat in a marbled cut of meat or in butter, as opposed to something like oil. Keyes wants to know, is saturated fat causing heart disease? He comes back to the States and does some tests. He finds that if he feeds patients
1: a diet that's rich in saturated fat, their cholesterol levels go up. But if he stops that and feeds them a whole foods diet rich in vegetables and fruits and a whole grains, they go down.
0: It's been known for quite some time that higher cholesterol was associated with heart disease, but in the 1950s, they don't understand cholesterol like we do now. Doctors and scientists today will tell you there's good cholesterol and bad cholesterol, but in the 50s, they thought it was all one bad thing. So Keyes sees this correlation in his study, and he thinks, maybe this is it. He comes up with a hypothesis, the diet-heart hypothesis, which basically says.
1: Diets rich in saturated fat lead to elevated cholesterol levels, and the elevated cholesterol levels generate atherosclerosis basically, plaques the lining of your arteries.
0: This can cause a heart attack, and it can also put you at risk of something like a stroke. Keyes designs a study to test this, the Seven Countries Study. This study will become super influential and also divisive, which we'll get to. It's what's known as an observational study. Keyes wants to observe people in seven countries over time to see if there is any connection between heart attacks and diets rich in saturated fats. He includes the United
1: States, Italy, Greece, Yugoslavia, the Netherlands, Finland, and Japan. Some eat a lot of saturated fat, some eat a lot of fish, some eat a lot of
0: vegetables. An observational approach isn't perfect, but Keyes thinks it might lead to some answers about heart disease. Nothing like this has really been tried before. To make it happen, he needs to do what's called a pilot study, test his approach. And he doesn't wanna do this alone. So in 1953, he reaches out to America's favorite cardiologist, Paul Dudley White. He's widely
1: regarded as one of the founders of preventive cardiology.
0: He thought that there might be things you could do to prevent heart disease. This is before White becomes Eisenhower's doctor, but he's still very well known. He wrote the textbook on heart disease called Heart Disease. He's a big deal. But remember, Ansel Keys is a very confident guy.
1: It probably didn't take him long to get up the courage to reach out to Paul Dudley White and say, hey, I'm trying to figure out what causes this epidemic of heart attacks. Would you come with me on a pilot study that I'm doing? And Paul White agreed.
0: This is a big win for Keys. He's done a lot of work in health and nutrition at this point, but he's not a doctor. So having White by his side is really valuable. They travel to Naples, then go from country to country, training local researchers to collect data. And as he sees the patterns in these countries, White becomes more and more interested in Keyes' hypothesis.
1: This was an interesting way of thinking about heart disease prevention.
0: And he was persuaded that at least Keyes needed to be able to test his hypothesis. But Keyes is still in the pilot phase. White and other doctors and scientists know that he doesn't yet have proof. It's just a hypothesis. And some of them are skeptical. They don't think it'll turn out to be true. Amidst all this debate, Keyes is still working on his seven-country study. He doesn't know it yet, but this still early research is about to get a big signal boost. When, in September of 1955, President Eisenhower suffers an unexpected heart attack.
1: Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at Bluenile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments.
0: When word gets out that Eisenhower has had a heart attack... People are scared because, for the most part, you have a heart attack and you die. So obviously they were terribly concerned for President Eisenhower. So concerned that the stock market went crazy. Value plummeted by about $14 billion. It was the worst market day since World War II. And so when the famous Paul Dudley White is rushed to the president's bedside and begins to give people updates on the president's progress, the public is hanging on his every word. And he's trying to comfort them by telling them that really, rather than
1: this being an inevitable consequence of old age, we can actually do some things here. The president can change his lifestyle and the prognosis isn't grim.
0: After White reassures the nation, the stock market begins to recover. And Eisenhower recovers too, after several weeks in the hospital. People are watching his progress and also paying extra attention to advice about health and heart disease. In October of 1955, Dr. White publishes an article that lands on the front page of the New York Times. Heart ills and presidency, Dr. White's views. The main thrust of the article is that we still don't know exactly what can prevent heart disease. White argues for more funding and more support for research. He cautions that science is slow and the answers aren't simple. But he lays out the current thinking on heart disease prevention. He says Eisenhower and others could get more exercise, limit stress. And then he says that the, quote, Factor which may well prove to be most important of all is diet. He mentions Ansel Keys by name twice, and he says that studies to date, most notably Keyes' studies, seem to show that dietary fat is, quote, in some way responsible for heart disease. Having
1: America's favorite cardiologist and most publicly respected cardiologist get behind your research is a major stride forward for Ansel Keys. And Keys has spent his lifetime preparing for opportunities like this. Keys is ready to write more about his ideas and ramp up his press releases after this.
0: Ansel Keys is still working on his Seven Countries study. It officially gets out of its pilot stage in 1958. But he also starts writing a book, Eat Well and Stay Well. Over 300 pages of diet advice and recipes, saying eat less saturated fat and eat more stuff like whole grains and fruits. The foreword is by none other than Paul Dudley White. The book comes out in 1959, and it blows up. Ansel Keys publishes
1: what is an international bestseller of a book. It goes through printing after printing. It's advertised in Time magazine, Doubleday. And that garners attention from the press as never before. Keys also makes sure cardiologists see the book. He sends it around to doctors. With a nice note, hoping that they would enjoy this. And they read the book, they use the book, they give it to their wives. They start eating the recipes, and people start listening to Keyes more and more. In
0: 1961, he's on the cover of Time magazine. And that same year, the American Heart Association publishes their first dietary guidelines for the general public. They emphasize that there's not yet final proof. But
1: They take more pro-keys approach, and they issue a statement about the dangers of saturated fat. The American Heart Association is a very powerful organization, and they command a lot of attention, and low-fat becomes a part of their mantra.
0: In the coming years, low-fat turns into a craze. There's low-fat everything—yogurt, cheese, cookies— People also start to more often replace the saturated fat in butter with stuff like margarine, marketed as a healthy alternative. The American Heart Association's 1961 guidelines suggest that shortenings and margarines should be used in place of animal fats. In 1970, Keyes finally does publish the results of the Seven Countries study, and they seem to uphold his hypothesis. In 1975, he and his wife publish a new book, How to Eat Well and Stay Well the Mediterranean Way, which popularizes this idea of the Mediterranean diet. Low in saturated fat, high in stuff like whole grains and fruits and vegetables. And his ideas really influence what people eat. Arguably, Keyes contributed more
1: to the development of 20th century food habits than any other biomedical scientist.
0: Some people today think he's had too much influence. We got it wrong on fat. That's Nina Teicholz. She's a science journalist who wrote a book called The Big Fat Surprise — and she's also now the executive director of a nonprofit advocacy group called the Nutrition Coalition. She has a big problem with a major part of Keyes' work this idea that we should cut saturated fat out of our diets. Keyes' biggest study of that hypothesis was the famous seven countries study. But Nina and other critics say that study is flawed. One big problem they point to is the selection of countries in the first place these countries ended up confirming Keyes' idea that groups that ate more saturated fats had higher rates of heart disease. But there were also very low rates of heart disease in countries that ate a lot of saturated fats, like Norway, like Sweden, like Switzerland, like France, you know, famously with the butter and the omelets. Teichels argues that Keyes cherry-picked these countries because they lined up with what he already thought. We also talked about this with Dr. Nissen, the Cleveland Clinic cardiologist that we heard from earlier. By the way, he's also on the scientific council of Teichel's nonprofit. Nissen told us it's hard to know today if Keyes cherry
3: picked the countries. None of us can ever go back and stand in the shoes of or in the mind of Ansel Keyes. But I recognize that the criticism had potential validity. Not having France in the study is a flaw. There's no question about it.
0: And he said, even beyond the question of which countries are included, a so-called observational study isn't the best way to look at this question of what causes heart disease. Keyes was focusing on saturated fat. But Dr. Nissen reminds us,
3: There are so many other factors that you're not looking at. These countries all have different smoking rates. They have different exercise habits. They have different genetic makeups of their population. And so you don't definitively answer scientific questions with observations like this. You answer those questions with what we call randomized, controlled clinical trials. That sort of a study is considered definitive. Now it's almost impossible to do with diet
0: because it's really hard to totally control what people eat. Now, Nina Teicholtz does point to some studies that she thinks come closer to meeting this standard and that cast doubt on the saturated fat hypothesis. She especially notes one that was conducted in a mental hospital in the 1960s where food could be much better controlled. And she also points to more recent meta-studies that analyze many studies together. Her takeaway is, There is not rigorous evidence to show that saturated fats cause heart disease and there's no reason to avoid them or the foods in which they exist. Now, there are certainly people who disagree. Notably, the American Heart Association. Their guidelines have changed over the decades, but today they say that you should be eating a diet high in stuff like nuts and olive oil and low in saturated fat, choosing low-fat milk, eating less red meat. Dr. Nissen is sort of in the middle. Mostly, he says, we really just need more and better data.
3: We don't have really reliable answers. We don't know what's healthy and what's unhealthy.
0: Now, Dr. Nissen says, and pretty much everyone agrees, smoking is bad. Exercise is good. High levels of a certain kind of cholesterol in the blood, called LDL cholesterol, are bad. But he says it's not clear how much diet influences that. And he also says there is one randomized controlled clinical trial that he thinks gives us the most clues of any study so far. A study from Spain found that the so-called Mediterranean diet, rich in olive oil and nuts, with some meat and lots of fruits and vegetables, is good for the heart, at least for the group of Spaniards that it studied. And that diet is essentially what Ansel Keys ended up arguing for— But Dr. Nissen still says the science is frustratingly limited. And heart disease is still the leading cause of death around the world.
3: So? Was Ancel Keys wrong or was he right? Jury's still probably out on that. He's probably right to some extent that eating a lot of saturated fat does drive up LDL cholesterol a bit. But it doesn't, in fact, reflect upon the big picture. Painting saturated fat as the public enemy number one may have taken us off target.
0: Because, he says, it led to stuff like low-fat snacks. Supermarket shelves stocked with highly processed crackers, cereals, and low-fat products that tended to replace fat with processed carbohydrates and sugar. And then people start to assume that those are healthy because of this background sense that fat is the worst thing. When people ate more sugar, rates of diabetes rose, which puts you at higher risk for heart disease — and arguably the most definitive bad consequence. Butter gets replaced with margarine and Crisco — not just on our dinner tables, but also hidden in our food products. These typically have something called trans fats. We now know that trans fats are definitely bad for us, and in fact increase the risk of heart disease avoiding trans fats is one thing that everyone we talked to agrees
3: on. So unfortunately, a lot of the downsides from the Ancel Keys work turned out to be just as prominent as the upsides.
0: Biographer Sarah Tracy sees this as a case of unintended consequences. He never anticipated that the food
1: industry would hear low fat and respond with taking vegetable oils and hydrogenating them in high-fructose corn syrup.
0: She says he was a scientist who also loved food. And his advice might have taken off in part because he gave people a story about food that they could also love. He basically
1: said through his cookbooks, you can eat really well and you don't have to be rich to do it. We can learn from other cultures because so many of them eat in ways that are not as expensive or rich, but they're every bit as flavorful.
0: Tracy said that with his cookbook proceeds, Keyes ended up building himself a house on the coast of Italy, where he enjoyed the Mediterranean lifestyle that he had tried to popularize. Thanks for listening to History This Week. For more moments throughout history that are also worth watching, check your local TV listings to find out what's on history today. And for history anytime, anywhere, sign up for a one-month extended free trial of History Vault, where you can stream over 2,000 award-winning documentaries and series from your favorite device with new videos added every week. To start your one month free trial, visit historyvault.com forward slash podcast today. This episode was produced by Julie Magruder. History This Week is also produced by McKaymee Lynn, Ben Dickstein, and me, Sally Helm. Our editor and sound designer is Dan Rosato. Our researcher is Emma Fredericks. Our executive producers are Jesse Katz and Ted Butler. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review History This Week wherever you get your podcasts.
2: And we will see you next week. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm.